I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep. So I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, my name is Gabriel Bergmoser, and when I'm not writing plays about Bruce Springsteen, I'm listening to Set Lusting Bruce. Welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and uh, tonight we are going across country. Um, my guest was, uh, and I had a little time zone mix up, <laughs> but um, he, uh, Terry, was nice enough to sign on a little early, and we we're having a chance to talk. So, hey, Terry, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jesse. Glad to be here. Very nice. Um, you're calling from the West Coast, correct? Correct. I have the, uh, as you can hear, the accent isn't West Coast. It's British, but uh, I live in Seattle, uh, or I, at least I do at the moment. In four weeks' time, we actually moved back to the UK after seven years. But uh, at the moment, I'm looking out on one of those gorgeous Seattle summer evenings. It doesn't always rain here. The sun's shining. I can see Mount Rainier, uh, and it's beautiful. That's nice. Um, why going back to UK after uh, this distance at this time? Uh, uh, family. So okay. I um, I worked for Microsoft for 22 years. So hence mm. the move to Seattle after yes. after 15 years. It was time to come and see what the mothership looked like. Okay. Um, so yeah, we've had seven great years. But um, my wife's family are all in uh, Scotland near Edinburgh. So uh, it was always our plan to move back, and I retired last year. So uh, okay. Had 12 months enjoying the Pacific Northwest, but um, now it's time to now it's time to move back home. And so, and we'll get to this in a minute. But you're um, this last 
12 months, could Bruce have not been touring? So <laughs> while you're, you know, like, hey, this is a lot less travel. Uh, so well, when, when I announced my retirement, one of my friends did uh, did ping me to say, is it true that you're retiring so that you can try and go to every Broadway show, which uh, unfortunately wasn't the case. But, uh, yeah, the irony of living in Seattle for the last seven years is probably the worst place to try and see Bruce has been the U.S. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I would argue Texas is right there with you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it's interesting because um, overall, you know, the majority of Stringsteen fans are just amazing. And I, I, I love the community we've built. But at times, I think some of my East Coast brothers and sisters – are a little spoiled that when you're on the West Coast, like Seattle, I mean, you know, Los Angeles will get a tour. But, you know, in Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, we may not all get on a lot of tours. He doesn't go to Texas every time. Um, You know, there's so that these middle, you know, these southern middle states, it's a little tougher. You have to go. You have to fight a little harder to uh, get to see the shows. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I, I guess I don't need to ask you my Excel questions or PowerPoint <laughs> questions. I'm sorry. I, I could, I could not resist making a very bad Microsoft joke. Yeah. Well, it was. I love the irony that Skype wasn't working before, but hey, I don't feel, I don't feel responsible anymore. <laughs> you know, I had not even thought about that. That's hilarious. Oh yeah. All right. So. Um, well, you've kind of already given an introduction, so let's go right to um, – Terry, I always like to start with um, your family background. I, you know, Talk to yep. me about growing up. What kind of music did your family listen to? You know, was it – were they big music fans? Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. So um, I grew up actually uh, in a place called Bevington, which is very close to Liverpool. So, um, you know, music was bound to be part of my life. Uh, and it was a big part of family life. So my mum uh, was Liverpool Irish. My dad was Scottish. Uh, so any family gathering or party, and there were a lot of family gatherings and parties, um, you know, that involved people singing. So everybody had the song. Everybody had to do the turn. Um, so music really, you know, from a very, very young age was just something that was there. And my, da- my dad was a big influence. Um during his job was he was he was a crane driver on the docks, um, but at night he was uh, he was a singer. He was a musician. So uh, the phrase in the UK then was that he used to do the clubs. So he would go and do working men's clubs and stuff like that. Um, and he was a singer. He was a pianist. He was also actually a very good accordion player. So um, that obviously set me up for my later obsession. Um, but you know his. His view around music, and he was, I guess I've inherited the trait, he had, he had his sort of sayings, and one of them was, there's only two types of music, music you like and music you don't. Um, and he would literally listen to anything. So, you know, his his real loves were musical comedies. Uh, so things like Oklahoma and King and I and Paint Your Wagon. Uh, and I was actually talking to a friend the other day, um, we sort of can comparing memories and Sunday mornings for me were always my dad cooking breakfast and you know sorry with a fringe on top or you know something would would be playing or sound of music um so that he loved that 
He loved Italian opera. Uh, he'd been in uh, Italy in the Second World War. And I like to think I've got a wide ranging taste and I've got that from him. But I have to say, to this day, I struggle with opera. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there's there's pieces of it I will pick up. And yeah. uh, and mostly because it, because of it was used in another form of media, like yeah. something that was connected to a TV show or a movie. And, you know, it will connect to me. Um, yep. or even like the Olympics, um, that I, you know, I've never heard that phrase before music you like and the music you don't like, but that is really perfect. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the full statement, he would then go on to say, and try not to be influenced too much by other people and try not to impose your taste too much on them either. Um, and I think it was it was great advice because I think partic particularly when you're younger and you still see it now and you get all the stuff around Bruce of what's good and bad. And it's like, do you know what? If you like it and it works for you, that's great. Yeah, uh, it's nobody else's business what you you like and you don't like. So so he was a massive influence. And, and you know, his broad tastes. I mean, when I was so I'm a teenager trying to rebel. I'm the youngest of three sons. And. He's listening to my music, for God's sake. <laughs> um, you know, and he like Carol King and Simon and Garfunkel and stuff predictably. He was also he also became a massive Leonard Cohen fan, <laughs> ah. um, which in the 70s, I can't think there were many dockers listening to no. Leonard Cohen. But um, so that was one big side. And then the other the other side of it was growing up uh, near Liverpool. I mean, I actually looked the other day in prep. We were we were six miles from the cavern. So. Wow. My oldest brother uh, became a teenager six months before Love Me Do became number one in the UK. And my second brother, Jim, became a teenager three months before I Want to Hold Your Hand became number one in the US. So, you know, and at that time in Liverpool, music was just everywhere. And even though I was sort of seven or eight, you know, that that really impacted me. Um, so, yeah, it was music. Music was always around. Terry, was there sense a sense of. I don't want to say ownership, but kind of pride that this is one of us kind of making it when the Beatles started hitting. Oh, massively. Uh, I mean, you know, one of the fascinating things about living in the U.S. is the sense of distance. And you look, you know, Liverpool and London are only 200 odd miles apart. But right. they, they might as well be. I mean, Liverpool's got more in common with New York than it has with London. Yeah. You know, so therefore... You grew up with this thing that London was the big city, and frankly, they were, you know, they were Southerners and they were suspicious people, and we didn't really like them. Um, so therefore, suddenly to have one for for Liverpool and the North to get that profile was amazing, and at the same time, there was the whole change going on that suddenly you started hearing on television accents that you recognised. As opposed to, you know, the classic received pronunciation, this is the BBC. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it really was an incredibly exciting time, um, you know, and it, and it put the city on the map. Really. You know, what's what's when you talk about the north and I apologize, listeners, but the immediate thought I get is um, when Christopher Eccleston was the doctor. Yep. And and Rose makes with that accent, you know, a lot of planets have a north, you know, <laughs> and, and and 
I didn't get that joke at first. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty amazing. Um, it, it is interesting, and I'm sure I, I imagine there was um, once you moved here, there was that, you know, the U.S. is big. <laughs> you know. Oh. Well, uh, we we realized when the two things happened. One, we were driving to Portland, and we thought it was normal that our nearest city in the US was 200 and odd miles away. And then the second was the night we went to Vancouver for dinner. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. actually that's closer than Portland. <laughs> well, and, you know, I had, I grew up in Louisiana. We moved to Dallas um, in 86. Um, my dad was in the army, we moved around a lot, but, you know, I, when you live in Texas, you know, you can drive eight, gotcha. ten hours and you're still in Texas. And, you know, the idea that uh, people living in New England could go across three states for a meal, you know, just fascinated me when I first heard about that. Well, I, I always remember taking my, uh, you know, with a Scottish father, I was convinced growing up that every Scottish family had one son that had moved to Canada. And our family had one, you know, my uncle had gone there. And I took my folks there in 86, and they, they didn't travel a lot. It was the first time they'd been outside of Europe, certainly. Um, and we were in Toronto, and my brother actually was in Vancouver on business. And my mum turned around and said, but he was there the week before. She said, oh, what a shame it wasn't this week. We could have met for a drink. And I tried to explain to her that Toronto was actually closer to London than Vancouver. And she just looked at me and said, oh, don't be silly, Terry. He's, you know, it's the same country. <laughs> well, and, you know, I, I will get that. I live in Dallas and people uh, will say, hey, I'm going to be in Austin. Is there any way we could meet? And I'm like, well, you know, it depends. That's about a three and a half hour drive. What? Yeah. You know, and it's just very different. Um, so obviously, um, Beatles and all the, as you growing into teenage, uh, British pop, um, how did you find Bruce? Uh, a number of ways, actually. Um, I guess three really. One was just music magazines. So in this, in the seventies in the UK, there were three significant music magazines. One was, New Musical Express. Uh, when punk arrived, it became NME because that was a much punkier name. Um, the second one was Sounds, which was the new kid on the block. And then the third one was uh, something called Melody Maker, which was viewed as the serious one. And I have to say it was the one I liked. Um, and there was, I mean, that had started, I think, 1926 or something, you know, so it had been around then for almost 50 years. But there was a journalist on there, Michael Watts, who was... Uh, he was a real advocate for Springsteen. And actually, he didn't make his name around Bruce. He made his name around David Bowie because it was uh, his interview with Bowie where Bowie uh, came out as gay, which in the early 70s was, one, massive news, and two, not guaranteed to be a great career move. Um, but in true British tabloid style, the brilliant thing about the article, one was David obviously... Uh, coming out like that but two the headline was oh you pretty thing <laughs> which i thought was great so he he was a real advocate and then they used to have a news section just a little thing and it, and you get like oh springsteen played at the bottom line and did pretty flamingo and 
So there was lots of that stuff going on. Um, the second thing was radio. So if you if you talk to anyone about British music, they will always talk about pirate radio in the 60s, which literally were ships that, you know, sat 13 miles off the UK coast because then they were in international waters uh, and they could broadcast anything they like. Um, but there was a there was a radio station called Radio Luxembourg, which, again, I think went back to the 30s. Um, and needless to say, they broadcast from Luxembourg. Um, and unlike, you know, U.S. radio stations with the 50,000 watt transmitter, I don't know what Radio Luxembourg's the power rating was, but I suspect it was about 50. Because if yeah. you talk to anyone who used to listen to Luxembourg, it used to fade in and out. Mm-hmm. So you listen to it and then it'd go and it'd come back. Um, and there was a there was a DJ uh, known then as Kid Jensen because he was so young. Uh, later became David Jensen when he grew up. But he just started. He um, he had a late night show called Jensen's Dimensions, um, and he just started playing the Wild the Innocent all the time. Uh, and that was really the first exposure. Um, and it just sounded like a completely foreign world. I mean, it was just so exciting. So yeah, uh, I can imagine. And and then the final thing was there was, um, you know, other artists covering. So I mentioned Bowie. Bowie did a cover of It's Hard to Be a Saint in the City. Uh, Alan Clark from the Hollies did a version of Sandy that got it sort of got into the bottom of the charts. Um, and then the other one, which I've always loved, is Manfred Mann's Earth Band and the cover of um, Blinded by the Light. Right. Which came across, I, I suspect you don't. I didn't realize, apparently it's Bruce's only U.S. number one. Yes, that is always kind of funny. Um, you know, every time I hear that, I picture, um, I graduated high school in 1977. So, I, you know, I was born in 59, you know, so that AM Rady era, era in the U.S., top 40, just is what I grew up on. Yeah. And, um, and I can remember, you know, the bus that picked us up to took us to school our route our guy would um would play top 40 radio you know he some bus drivers would play country music or you know not any music at all but he normally played pop radio and and i could just you know sitting on the bus hearing you know blinded by the light and um and just loving the 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 sound of the music and the way the words played with each other. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, it, it, it is kind of funny that, you know, that's Bruce's number one. I know. Yeah. And uh, God, God bless the rhyming dictionary. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, you know, for the longest time, I guess it, it's true, you know, um, you know, Brian Wilson was talking to Jan and Dean and he was playing them a song and they said, Hey, can we do that? And he goes, no, 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 that's for the beach boys, but I have others. And he gave them surf city. And that was, uh, a number one hit. And it was before the beach boys had had a number one hit, you know, and, uh, (laughs) Murray Wilson was not happy that Brian just gave away a song. Um, so you've already talked a little bit, Terry, but, not only the lyrics and the sound, but what was there something else about that made you, you know, sit up and go, this guy's a little different. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you, you, you've just referenced it. Uh, I mean, you know, my, I went to university to do English lit. So books, poetry, words fascinated me, fascinate me to this day. So the first thing was just words, words, words. And one of the reasons, you know, I think for any fan, it's been such a great journey is to watch how somebody who, and I don't mean it, pejoratively but you know used to spew so many brilliant words out but god were there a lot of them you know has sort of honed things and honed things and honed things over the years but one was just all these words and then the second thing and we, we've touched on it already but you know america seemed such an exciting and foreign place in 1973 um you know there's a great i'm not a massive elton john fan but i remember an interview with him it was early eight. Did I lose you, Terry? Okay, I yeah, I can't hear you right now. So keep talking. Okay, can you now, hear me now? Now, now I can. Okay. Um, so I don't know yes, where you lost me. I, I yeah, was you're saying, not a big fan of Elton John, but not a big fan of Elton John. But he, in I think it was Rock of the Westies, he did a song called Grimsby, and Grimsby is a fishing town on the east coast of the UK, and it is suitably grim. And they were like, "Why have you written a song about Grimsby?" And he said, "Well, when I was growing up in the UK, he said I would listen to all these songs like 24 Hours from Tulsa and Galveston and all, and these places would sound fantastic." And then he looked at the interviewer and I think he said, have you been to Galveston? (laughs) (laughs) So he said, I've written Grimsby because I want American tourists to go to London, York, Edinburgh and Grimsby. Um, So it was it was, I guess, particularly with Wild the Innocent, you know, you listen to side two. And I think Bruce has said, you know, that it was his fantasy New York world. But boy, did it sound like a fantasy world to me. And, you know, there was certainly no one in Liverpool called Puerto Rican Jane or Spanish Johnny, you know. Um, So that was the real attraction. And I think also the mix of Bruce that there was this fantasy world, but then there was this realism as well. And I think that's if I look back of what's kept me being such a fan, I think it's those two things. And it's the mix of those two things. That's really well said, Terry. Um, You know, hard to believe this is going to be the second time I bring up the Beach Boys. But, you know, um, I remember reading a biography that um, there was no wonder the Beach Boys music was being used to sell um, shampoo in the 70s um, because it was selling California in the 60s. Brilliant, Um, brilliant quote. Yeah. And... Um, and Bruce was selling that, but at the also, um, you know, I've often said that as you, most of, a lot of the women he writes about have a past, you know, they're, they talk a lot about, you know, um, you know, that they've already, you know, after she put her kids to bed, not our kids, her kids. I, I realize yeah. he didn't write Jersey Girl, but go, you know, let's drop those brats of yours off at your mom. I mean, you know, there is this, um, there is a little bit of, you know, they've had a past, they've had a tough time. And 
Um, and the romantic in me is like two broken people finding each other, and and it the pieces fit, and, yeah. and they go on together. So um, I can imagine. Um, well, I think there's also. Yeah. I mean, I know I know you've got a Catholic background as as I have. I am very lapsed, but uh, yeah, so am I. Think, I. <laughs> um, I'm. Uh, if somebody hasn't already done it, I'm sure there's a thesis on you know um, the 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 Catholic view of of uh, the female sex and its and its importance in Bruce Springsteen's writing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it, it is those two sides, you know. It truly is. Um, you know, and he talks about that. I don't know. Were you lucky enough to get to go to Broadway? Uh, I was. I was actually lucky enough to go twice. So I went on. Um, I got tickets. And, well, my wife and I got two sets of two tickets. And my son, um, who I think is the same age as yours, I noticed the last podcast. So he's 28, yeah. uh, currently in New York, although, again, about to move. But uh, so I went to see the show on the Saturday night with my wife and then the Tuesday with my son, which was oh, nice. Um, and in the middle, we did the Stan Goldstein tour on the Monday of Jersey. So that was that was quite a weekend. You know, um, you you may have heard this or I know my listeners have. But when I went, uh, my son and I went up to see um, the August 25th um, tour there and um, there at MetLife uh, yep. Stadium. And the next day I did Stan's tour. And oh, wow. it, it truly was, I mean, um, it was like going to Mecca. I mean, oh, it, was... it is it is amazing how much he knows and how much he's sharing. And yeah. um, and then he made me laugh because I was in the back seat and he says, I feel like I'm listening to a podcast, Jesse, every time you talk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have to say, it was without without doing the advert for him, um, and the timing was great. But it was just a fantastic experience, and I think hearing Bruce, you know, Bruce's line about yeah, "I'm I'm the guy who you know wants to get out," and I wrote "Born to Run" and da da, and then you know I I lived five miles from where I was born. But there was two things that hit me. One was seeing these places that you'd imagined, you know, and there is a barber shop on South Street. Um, and you know there is a textile mill, and it is over the railway track. But yeah. the other thing I hadn't appreciated was sort of what you know, having talked about Bruce and this big vision and this fantasy world. If you look about his writing of his hometown and that, it just felt all so small and compact. Yes, it does. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, so I, I, that's, and I think seeing it, particularly seeing it between the two shows, but um, yeah, oh, I would recommend it to anyone. Um, I, I totally agree. Um, so I always like to preface this. The amount of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of your fandom because as you just talked about, when you're there in Seattle, you know, a little tougher. Um, but how many times have you seen him? So uh, the uh, I thought it was 49, and then I went on to set list. It's 48 shows, one okay. book signing, and two cancellations in 2016, would you believe? And that was him cancelling, not us. Yes. Um, um, the uh, the book signing, um, did you do like me, practice over and over again what you were going to say? Well, here's – yes, I did, because I'd, I'd actually done a meet and greet with Steve Van Zandt that went disastrously. Okay. Um, so I 
prepped it really carefully. I can remember I got it down to 11 words and I was actually out walking the dogs earlier today and suddenly thought, I actually can't remember what I said. (laughs) (laughs) So it'll be on Facebook. It was a thank you of some sort. But but I mean, the funny thing about that was my wife was with me and we walk on the platform. I shake hands. And the highlight of the day was he then looks past me, sees my wife, and in his best dancing in the dark voice says, hey, darling, at which point my wife just melted. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That is just, oh, that is great. Um, So um, talk to me about is, is there songs or albums that have, since you've been along the ride, you know, from really the beginning, are there things that uh, have spoke to you that have continued to, they mean something to you? And also, if I follow up on, is there things that you've grown to appreciate that maybe you didn't at the beginning? Okay. Um, well, let me, let me take the first part. Sure. Um, and I'll quote, I don't know if you've read, there's a great book uh, from Nick Hornby called 31 Songs. Um, I have not. I need I to check abs- that out. I'd absolutely recommend it. It's not music criticism, uh, criticism. It's just, it's short sort of essays about songs. Um, and it just so happens that the first one he talks about is Thunder Road. And he just clearly states that it's the best song that's ever been written. And I have to agree with him. Um, but he also talks in the book about songs are like puzzles so there's some songs that you know you hear and going back to your comment about fm uh, am radio uh, i always remember dreamer by Supertramp was one of those like you know i can remember the first time i heard it, it was great but it's almost like once you've solved the puzzle it's really not that interesting anymore whereas other songs and i think thunder road is probably the best but there's a load more in bruce's canon the songs that grow over time and they change over time and you see them differently and he performs them differently. So, um, and then there's other songs that just take you straight back. So, uh, you know, if I think about Independence Day, um, it's fair to say, and I said, you know, my dad, Scot- Scottish union leader, docker, quite a forceful personality. Um, and did we have a challenging relationship to the extent of Bruce and his dad? But no, the good news is we kept talking, but there was, there was always that sort of friction there. So, but I can remember the day I went to university and my dad didn't drive, but he walked me to the station with my suitcase on the handlebars of his push bike. And whenever I hear Independence Day, that's the image that comes, you know, that, that scene just comes into my head. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, that's funny that you um, pick that song because when um, I, I, you know, I recognized it was an interesting song, but you know, it didn't speak to me. And when I, the River Tour, the, yeah. you know, and him talking about the story. And the idea that this, he wrote this song from a child, a, you know, a young son's perspective. And now then he is older than his father was at that time. And singing from that perspective really fascinated me. 
Well, it's uh, uh, one, I agree with that. The other thing he said, and I'd never listened to it this way, was it's a conversation. Yes. I'd never heard two voices in it before. Yeah. And it was funny, when, when he said that, it didn't suddenly go, oh, my God, I've been listening to this wrong for 30-odd years. Yeah. It was just, wow. Um, so, yeah, I think that's one of the one of the many reasons that I love his music so much is, um, you know, those reinterpret um what's other examples the the reunion tour when you know um my love will never let you down and he they come out with the lights up and it's a song to the audience yeah uh, so those those are the things i love um i think it's interesting your question on things you've appreciated um or you know come back to appreciate uh i got the vinyl the second vinyl box set two weeks ago, I think it was. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, the the other band phase always gets such bad press. Yeah. Uh, I actually saw two shows, uh, 92 and 93. And the one in 92 at Wembley was great. The 90, uh, was good. The show in Sheffield in 93 would be up there with my probably top five or six. Um, but it was interesting going back and listening to the two albums because I have to say Human Touch has got about four good songs on it and then the rest of it was just painful. Right. But Lucky Town, I thought sound, sound not just sounded but the songs, it was like this is a really strong album. Yeah. Um, and I do, I do wish he'd do you know, in the last few years he has, there was a gig in Leeds where he trotted out a load. Whenever he plays stuff, particularly off Lucky Town, I always think it's it's great. But, yeah, that's that's an album I think is probably underestimated. Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, I mean, Better Days is one of my favorite songs. So, yeah. you know, that alone gets it. But then, you know, If I Should Fall Behind, Living Proof, a bunch of other songs – yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do think that's something that is, um, you know, and I also think, and, and I'm going to do an episode about this sometime, where I want to get somebody like yourself and a couple other people and talk about, you know, that period where it seemed like he had lost his mind. You know, he's moved to California, he's fired yep. the band, and as... As fans, what were you guys thinking, right? Um, because I, I, you know, I kind of casually was a casual fan and kind of not paying attention to that, you know. And now that I'm obsessed or passionate, depending on your ability, right? <laughs> you know, we're like, God, I can't believe it's been this long without an album. And uh, what are we going to do when we're going to see him again? And um, you know, it's so it's very interesting. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I do, I do sort of wonder sometimes how you know if you look at the availability of technology and the ability to release stuff now and you know we're getting an album a month on the remasters yeah what what would what would bruce have done in that situation yeah and two actually would have that would that have been a better outcome because you know one of the ironies for me is i think the rising is three tracks too long otherwise it could have been probably his greatest album yeah and i, I think I, th I think there's an irony that the editing discipline for once let him down yeah and i think the beauty of the early stuff you know if you listen to darkness yeah. i mean it's just a hundred percent rock solid 
and you are not alone in that feeling of the rising, you know, and um, my best friend Sam, you know, mentions all the time, he says, you know, just if, and of course he always says, if I got to pick the songs, of course, uh, yep. you know, but uh, there is that. Um, and I also, one of the things I find fascinating is, um, you know, Steven's doing a lot of promotions with his new live release and the tour and he's done a lot of interviews and he's been consistent saying and bruce said it in his book we could have made it work yeah you know we we didn't need at the time i thought we had to but we could have figured out a way to give everyone that creative freedom yet um kept the band together Oh yeah, um, yeah, and and I don't know. I mean, those one of those things. Would they? Did they need to take this time apart to then come back together stronger? I yeah, and I mean, I think people people forget. Well, one, I don't think you can underestimate what the experience must have been like in the born in the U.S. You know, those two years, right? Those two years. Um, you know, people forget. I mean, again, it would be my second. Tunnel of Love is my second favorite album, but you know that was viewed at the time as one. Bruce almost didn't tour with the band, and two, you know, there was lots of consternation. I remember turning up the first gig, and it was like Clarence is stood on the other side of the stage. Yes. <laughs> now, yes. He was clearly trying to change and you know yeah. move things around, literally. But right. um, yeah, I, I I think I would subscribe to. It was only. It was the being apart meant that the re, the reunion was so impactful. But I don't, I don't think anybody, me included, in 1999, and I suspect Bruce included, could have predicted what was then going to happen. No, you no, know, no. It's yeah, wait. It's remarkable. Um, so, time for the Mary question. <laughs> um, you know, if, it sounds like you've listened to a couple episodes. So, um, so. For those of you who this may be your first podcast, uh, Jay Armstrong is a English teacher, um, honors English teacher in the U.S. He teaches seniors in high school, and they do a whole uh, two or three day course on they treat thunder they treat Thunder Road as a poem, uh, comparing it to Robert Frost's The Road Less Traveled. And at the end of the session, after the students have talked, he asks the question: Does Mary get in the car? So I have to, before I answer the question, I have to tell you this, that I was on a flight to New York um, the first time I listened to one of your podcasts, and the, old, the first time I suddenly heard this question, and I literally shouted, what? And I had headphones on. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife, like, glared at me, and I'm like, pause, and said, it's just asked if Barry gets into the car. So... Um, you know, uh, 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 a very good friend, a boss of mine, once described me as an interesting mix of hard-bitten cynicism and childish enthusiasm. So yeah. um, the childish enthusiasm says I'm a romantic, and the fact that I, it never occurred to me that she didn't get into the car tells you something. But I referenced before that my degree was in English literature, so I can do pretentious literary criticism with the best of them. Okay. okay. So here's, and I have clearly prepared this response, which is, she doesn't get in the car, but neither of them leave town. Ah. Here's, here's my rationale. Because if you put yourself in Mary's position, why the hell would she leave town with a guy who actually specifically says, 
I don't think you're beautiful. Right. Um, a guy who recognizes his communication issues in not telling her what she wants, but appears to be doing absolutely nothing about it. Right. And a guy, if I'm not mistaken, who seems to have pretty unresolved jealousy issues about previous boyfriends. Yes. And then finally, and you, I think, mentioned this, he invites her into the car and then says, I am pulling out, not we. Right. So the reason I say neither of them leave town is that Murray basically says no, but says, I still kind of like you, still like to keep seeing you. Unlike all good women in our lives, after a couple of years of coaching and development, he starts getting better and he realizes how beautiful she is. He starts talking about how he feels. He starts saying we and then they get in the car and leave. I think you may have won that question. <laughs> I didn't know it was a contest, but I absolutely love that answer. By the way, my wife turned around and said, oh, you can't say that. That's complete nonsense. No, no. I, I love that. Um, you know, Jay talks about he thinks she's too afraid, that she um, is too afraid to let go. Um, I, being raised on Disney movies and happy endings, said, of course. I mean, I was shocked um, that he even – what it's not even a question. Of course Mary gets in the car. Um, so thank you. I, I love asking that question. That's a great question. Because many people have never thought of it, and so I love your reaction. Um, <laughs> that tells me absolutely greatness. I can just see you in the flight like – what? What's going on? Stupid, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Terry. How about do you have a wish list? Okay, you're going to go um, back home. He's going to tour the UK. Yeah. You're going to, you know, you're going to take the train down. You're going to see him. Um, are there songs that you have not heard him perform live that you would like to hear? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, not many. That's um, good. I mean, uh, the delights of set list. I, it totals up 233 songs across all of those gigs. That's, wow. that's quite a list. Um, but probably, I mean, the big one, and again, going back to that vinyl box set, um, I would love to see him do Blood Brothers. Um, yes. you know, that, that moment in the reunion video where it's the, the last night at Madison Square Gardens and he puts the extra verse in. Um, you know, that always brings a tear to the eye. And it was only a couple of years ago I found out that apparently, and again, you probably know this, but, you know, there's the bit where he has to really call Clarence over. And Clarence was convinced that was the last gig, apparently. Wow, I did not know that. So he stood there thinking, this is it. You know, and there won't be that. This is the end. Um, so I would love I would love to see him do that. Um, Frankie. I've never seen Frankie. Um, okay. And when we were back in Europe a couple of years ago that kept coming up in shows but we missed it and then I always like the dark moody stuff so Wages of Sin okay. uh, again I've not but probably I mean other than Blood Brothers what I'd love is songs that I've only heard once so Highway Patrolman is just one of my favorite ever songs and I've heard it once mm. um, you mentioned it before Living Proof that's always the song that makes me think of my son and I've sure. heard it once um, and the irony is that my very first show, uh, he finished with Rocking All Over the World, which in 1981 I thought was a status quo song. Yeah. 
Um, and in the other 47 shows, he's never done it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also I've seen a lot of album shows, but would you believe I've never actually seen Born to Run start to finish? I think I've seen Born in the USA four times, but I've never seen Born yeah. to Run start to finish. And I'd love to, I'd love to hear side two of Wild the Innocent. Yeah. That all great choices. Um, all great choices. Um, by the way, I, I had to share, um, um, last year I was uh, fighting colon cancer, and when we had to, when we decided to put something out, um, you know, to the team, to people, because people had said we'd like to contribute. What can we do? And I quoted that extra verse of Blood Brothers, um, and I agree with you. Any time I read the lyrics, I start. Um, moisture in my eyes. I start crying a little bit because it's so beautiful. And um, I think it, um, you know, when he does 10th Avenue Freeze Out on Broadway, it is not many people have a dry eye. But, um, you know, it is, but that Blood Brothers just talks everything about what they've done together. And it's just amazing. Yeah, and, I, and and again, I think it's it's the universe universality is that word. Yeah. Um, but you know, when I mean, I retired last year after 38 years, and without being grandiose, you know, you look back on a working life, you, and you just look at that song, and it's about all of you know those compromises yeah. you make, but the people you work with, and how it feels, and so yeah, great song. Good. Um, oh God, this has been a grazing. This has been wonderful. We may may have to get you back on after you're back <laughs> home. Can I just say, can I ask you one question? Sure, you can ask me anything you want. Talk me through your sort of thinking when you decided to kick this thing off. Um, yeah, I, I love that. So, um, it kind of, I, unfortunately, I'm going to tell you. Um, how to build a watch when you ask what time it is. But, um, you know, I had, um, I had, I had found podcasting and had, um, listened and I, I sent in voicemails and I sent in letters to different podcasts and, um, a podcast I really love tuning into sci-fi TV on one of their boards, a lady named Karen said, um, we're looking for people who have never watched Farscape, and uh, we want someone to join us, and it'll be a newbie. The idea is we'll have two people that have seen every episode of Farscape. We'll have a newbie watch Farscape one episode at a time, and then we can get your expression and feelings. And so I said, oh, I will. And um, they gave me a lot of positive feedback, and they said, you're really good at this, Jesse. You know, you're you you're funny, you're insightful, you you do a good job. And then Karen said, um, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing a podcast about Castle because of Nathan Fillion. Do you yep. want to join me? Absolutely." So we started doing that. And so Rob Southgate, who owns um, the meeting of the network I'm on, um, had heard that, and he I was he asked me to guest star talking about a couple of podcasts about conventions and we'd done that and um he reached out to me and he said hey um i want to do we want a doctor who podcast and we think you're perfect for it so 
did the Doctor Who podcast, kind of loved it. And here's where we start getting close to Bruce. There was an 80s reboot podcast, and it's an 80s nostalgia podcast. And um, we had an episode, and I was asked to guess, pick your three favorite albums of the 80s. And I made the joke that I could have picked all Bruce albums, but because I make up these all rules, you know, Terry, that I could only pick one album yep. per artist, yep. right? And so Tunnel of Love was my choice for Bruce. Good. And then um, a month or so later, the guy who does the podcast was like, I'm kind of tired, but I want to take a break, but I want fill-in hosts. Do you have anything that you could do? And and I said, well, you know, let me get a couple of pot, a couple of people I know that I had met through conventions, and we'll discuss Bruce in the '80s. And so we did. We had, you know, we discussed all his releases in the '80s, and I had a blast. And then saw Springsteen and I, right? Yep. And so I went to Rob and I said, Rob. I want to do a Springsteen podcast. And he said, and the other thing was, I don't know, Lynette Carolla, Adam Carolla's wife. Name did, was above, yes. Yeah, she did like seven episodes where 10th Avenue podcast, where she interviewed celebrity friends about their Springsteen passion. Okay. And I went, I want more of these episodes. And in the spirit of, you know, lighting a candle instead of cursing the darkness, I went to Rob and I said, I want to do a Springsteen podcast. And he says, okay, what's a Springsteen podcast? What are you going to do? <laughs> and at the time, there was none. I mean, now there's four or five out there. Yep. Um, and I said, well, what I want to do is find Springsteen fans and have them talk about their fandom. And he says – yeah, that sounds fun, but how are you going to find them? I said, social media. I said, I'm just going to ask, and I, you know, I'll do it. And so Rob is like, look, if you want to do it, do it, Jesse. And so that's where I got it from. And um, and 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 I do feel like um, there's other podcasts. Like I love Bruce Springsteen's The Alphabet. I love JV and Rob going through each song. And, and, you know, and, and I love Tramps Like Us and, you know, they, they do more song theory and, and you yeah. know, reviews. But mine's purely – and that's why I always tell people, look, you don't have to be a massive fan. Just if you love Bruce, no, you've got I, a story. And that's and that's what I – one, it's what I love about what you're doing. And two, I mean, is it when I mentioned that Nick Hornby – song and yeah. said it's not music criticism i mean to be honest um i'm still recovering from doing english literature as my major because my view is it ruined a lot of stuff for me yeah um you know and i do think without being pompous art and music and everything is to be experienced and there's a there is analysis can be interesting but i think it can kill stuff whereas talking about the experience talking about what you know that that i think is interesting um any final thoughts you want to share uh yeah a couple of things i mean going back to the you know how many times have you seen him and it not been a measure and i absolutely subscribe to that uh the big thing for me is you look at those gigs and actually that spans 37 years 37 different venues 
21 different cities and 10 different countries. And like you, I have friends who think, and my wife has, I'm very lucky, the same obsession as me, but think the Springsteen thing is just weird. And I always say to them, leave, leave the music, leave the man to one side. You know, we've just had fantastic fun and hopefully will continue to be being fans and meeting people. And, you know, we've made lifelong friends out of it. And I think that's, you know, I love I love the tagline of your podcast that says this is actually about fans, not about Bruce and the, the music. And that for me is one of the big takeaways that, yeah, I love the music. You know, I really admire the man, but all of those experiences. And I think Springsteen and I as a, as a film just really sum that up. Um, you know, my wife and I, we, we have a mixed marriage. She is not, <laughs> um, she is not crazy and, and she's really, um, not passionate about almost anything as a spectator. Um, she is certainly passionate about her unhappiness with the current administration, yep. uh, you know, and um, she loves watching the Tour de France. And um, but as far as like a musician or an actor, you know, she just doesn't have that kind of passion. Um, so she finds it a little weird, um, but she puts up with me and understands why I love it, though it was funny when um, my son um, and his fiancée, Erica, came over. We were all going to go to a wedding together, and they started playing Springsteen music on his phone on the car, and they're singing along, and Linda looked like, when did this happen? <laughs> and, um, you know, Chris said when I went to New York with Dad, um, he said, you know, he bought us that CD, of the live show and he says, and I gave it to E and you know, that's all we, we listened to for the longest time. And you know, he said, I played tougher than the rest in the background when I asked her to marry me. <gasps> and, Brilliant. and you know, Linda's looking like you did this. <laughs> you know, uh, And it, it's those things. I mean, one of, one of the highlights for me, my 55th birthday was, uh, we went to Barcelona, um, to see Bruce twice, but once, one show on my actual birthday. Uh, and it was the first time he played Prove It All Night, the long version in Europe ever. Mm. But we went with my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. Yeah. Uh, and we're in the pit and like we're two songs in and my sister-in-law just turns around with this face beaming and screams, I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, it's become the, ex I mean, we, we even did a show at MetLife with my son and my mother-in-law. Um, so yeah, the, the extended family has been, uh, has been indoctrinated, but, uh, and I guess the, you know, the other final thought, and, uh, you know, it is a prepared remark, but, you know, land of home and dreams has that line that's about being a good companion for this part of the ride. Yes. Um, and that's, I guess what Bruce and his music means to me, you know, it really, whether it's the words, the stories, the interviews, doesn't matter, you know, it's been companionship, it's been comfort, it's been inspiration. Um, and in some difficult times, a real touchstone. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, long continue. Yeah, you know, Terry, what's funny is um, I'll hear people, well, if you could only bring one artist to a desert island, what would you do? I'm like, is it even a choice? I mean, um, and, you know, because the idea 
you know, Bruce has a song for every mood. And yep. um and you're right. I mean, um I quote that often, you know, to Linda, I'll say you've been a good companion on this part of the ride. And uh Linda rolls her eyes every anniversary <laughs> when I when I post Linda let me be the one and I'm so happy you let me be the one. Um so uh yeah it's well, you start talking in Springsteen lyrics, you have to start yes, worrying. I've yes. I've fallen foul of that too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um the uh, I was at a I was at a business meeting and um I someone brought up that the people that now own our company um have a ping pong table in the middle of the office and our new office has one too and they said that you know often that you know you get to take a break and even if they're kind of discussing what to do and they they're kind of torn they'll okay let's play for it let's play who's gonna you know ideas gonna come out and so gavin who is the head of uh the private equity firm that purchased us invested in us i couldn't wait to tell him, hey, you know, Bruce Springsteen had a ping pong table, you know, and once they went out stage and the pl- the band was still playing, and uh, so now they banned them, and he laughed. I actually cut and paste the excerpt from his, um, you know, book and sent it to him, and um, my coworkers like, you truly can find a Bruce Springsteen story Absolutely. for anything, can't you? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Why yeah, couldn't yeah. I? That's um, why. That's why it's an obsession, not a passion. <laughs> exactly, Terry. Thank you. This is absolutely wonderful. If someone right. wants to reach you, how can they? Uh, then uh, email is terrysmi at hotmail dot com. Happy to take email. And then uh, Twitter is Terry Scrabble. So when we're not listening to Bruce, one of the things my wife and I love to do is play Scrabble. Back to that words thing again. Very nice. Yes. Uh, well. If you want to be on the show and share your Springsteen story, uh, you can reach out to me at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is at um, setlustingbruce on Twitter. We do have a Facebook page. You can go and like us there. And if you have the chance, please go to iTunes to rate and review us. Uh, that is how I find new listeners find us. Terry, this was a blast. I am so glad you joined me. Um, we're going to end with, now, Papa, go to bed now. It's getting late. <laughs> Nothing we say can change anything now because there's just different people coming down here now, and they see things in different ways, and soon everything we know will just be swept away. So say goodbye. It's Independence Day. Papa, now I know the things you wanted that you could not say. But won't you just say goodbye? It's Independence Day. I swear I never meant to take those things away. You should, you, never fin- you should never finish a podcast with somebody crying. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you soon.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.